Switched on on F104 and I'm joined by Irish journalist and writer of Social Capital, Life Online in the Shadow of Ireland's Tech Boom, Aoife Barry. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? So tell me why you began writing this book. So I suppose there's a combination of things. I mean, the publisher, HarperCollins, um, Catherine Goff, who was the, one of the commissioning editors there at the time, she'd seen stuff that I had written on my blog and in other places about suppose, the changing Ireland, you know, how the city of Ireland had changed. And she could see that I was someone who, you know, had been online a long time. I'd had, you know, a blog for a long time since I was in college, which was a long time ago. And that I was uh, very active on, on social media and had an interest in it and, when I was working for the journal, .ie had written a lot about, you know, internet trends and how people were behaving online. So she approached me with the idea of doing a book about um, social media in Ireland, particularly because of the fact we have, you know, the different companies like Meta, like TikTok, mm-hmm. like um, like Instagram, which is part of Meta. We ha- they have offices here in Ireland. So, you know, we have a kind of interesting relationship with them. So she kind of wanted to take a look at what's going on with social media in Ireland and I think she felt that I was the right person to do it and when she approached me I was so happy to hear about that because it was something that really interested me and I could use my own interests but then also my journalistic experience to try and tackle such a big topic. Absolutely because it is a huge topic really and it is one that's been around for a very long time but I think we do kind of come across similar topics all the time with it don't we? Yeah I mean the thing is I feel like as I say in the book that we are like frogs in a pot of boiling water you know it's that that old saying where as the water of social media has been heating up over the last 20 or so years and particularly over the last 10 years we've just kind of been sitting there taking part in these worlds that were created for us to use and that we were happily diving into use because they're really exciting and we get to meet people and we get to do lots of interesting things on them but while that's all been happening things within the social media world have been changing a lot and we have been seeing negative things happening. It's not like we haven't noticed that there was cyberbullying or there's harassment or that figures like Trump were saying really controversial things that a lot of people were not happy about. So I think, you know, with the book, it was a chance to sit down and say, okay, well, where are we now? And what examples do I have of over the last maybe 15 to 10 years or so of Ireland's behaviour on social media? And by putting that together, can we maybe all take a look at where we are? And it might make us reflect on what we want from the future of social media too, Mm -hmm. because it's changing so quickly. But I think that people maybe don't have a chance to actually assess how they feel about their behaviour on social media and about other people's behaviour too. And as a result, the companies just kind of get to keep on doing what they want to do, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and that might not always benefit us as users. Because that's the thing, we do kind of just go along with the changes, don't we? Yeah, we do. And like, I said that as someone who always goes along with the changes too, you know, like, and I mean, I I started working in, in digital media with the journal back in 2011. And at that period of time, that was when, social media was in its kind of new phase, which is a phase that I suppose we've been in for the last um, 10 or so years. And it was really exciting, you know, getting involved in digital media and getting involved in social media and seeing what was out there and, you know, taking part in the different in the different apps and seeing what they could offer us. Um, but there's not that much time to sit back and assess, you know, what's going on. And I think because they are free products, you know, we feel delighted to use them because we don't feel like we're paying anything. But we are paying different prices. You know, we're, we're giving them their da- our data. So that's one price that we're, we're paying. And we're giving them our attention. And that's another huge price we're paying. And um, because we feel like we're getting these things for free, we might not always analyze exactly what's going on on them. So I think there are, there are pretty legitimate reasons why maybe we haven't analyzed um, 
analyze social media, you know, I suppose globally, you know, societally, like people have been writing books about it. Obviously, there's some really good books out there, there's documentaries and stuff. But I think in Ireland, it's maybe something that we do need to sit back a little bit more and think mm-hmm. about. Um, I do think recently we've seen a little bit more of it in, in recent in the recent years since COVID, perhaps. Um, and that's around the same time I started writing the book as well. So I think that all coalesced at the right time. Do you think we're different people because we have access to, I suppose, not only social media apps, but just so much information as well? Yeah, it's a good question because I think, like, I'm in my late 30s and anybody who's of that generation, you know, um, will have grown up without access to the internet because it wasn't around. And then suddenly in our teams, we were able to access like anything in the world. And that was really exciting. You know, I loved going onto the internet in the early days and going onto chat rooms and meeting people. And then when I went to college, finding out about stuff I was really into and again, just meeting people and just having this big world open to me. And I think it's taught us a lot. You know, like social media has, in particular, has enabled us to meet people who we might not normally meet, you know, strike up friendships and relationships with people that we might not have access to. Like, it's taught me a lot about how other people live who are different to me, you know, and taught me a lot about, like, the privileges, privileges I have in life that, like, I might not have have thought about. So I do think in some really positive ways it's changed us and it's opened up the world to us, you know. Um, when you're on something like Twitter, it doesn't feel like you're on Irish Twitter so much as you feel like you're on this website that all of the world is on, even yeah. if it's only a really small percentage of the world. Mm-hmm. It just feels, like, very big and broad. I think that's really good. Um, but I do think we've been changed you know, collectively in some not very positive ways too because social media, by, you know, its very nature encourages us to respond really quickly and in quite a black and white way, not a very nuanced way to things. You know, it wants us to have an instant reaction and a lot of things are actually kind of complicated in life and maybe there's a lot of stuff that's kind of grey. I mean, there's stuff that's obviously not grey, talking about racism and sexism, for example, but there is some behaviour where people get called out and you think, maybe we wouldn't have been so quick to kind of pillory this person in the way that we do online um, in in real life. So I think it's kind of blurred the lines a little bit with those kind of behaviours too. And also a huge factor of the book is that you do delve into people's stories as well who've Mm. been affected by the internet or social media in some way. Yeah, I do. And that was really important to me because, you know, part of the book is my own story, but I didn't want it to be a book just about me. I mean, it wouldn't have been a very interesting book (laughs) in the first place. Don't think people would be picking up to buy it. But also everybody's interaction and relationship with the internet is completely individual and unique. You know, I say that in Social Capital too, that no two people, you know, even if you and I were sitting next to each other at two computer terminals or on our phones and looking at the exact same things, we would still have totally different experiences particularly because of social media, like depending on who we follow and who follows us and stuff. So I wanted to tell other people's stories. Like I have a story, for example, I interviewed Fiona Ryan. Her family were in a series of little ads and herself and her husband and their young son ended up getting targeted by racist comments on Twitter and it was and also other places on the internet. And it was really hard for them to kind of get anything done about it. Um, in the end, they ended up moving to England where they're living now and you know telling that story I think was important to show that like there's real people at the receiving end of it Um, I talked to influencers about the difficulties that they have in kind of balancing earning money and in keeping their followers happy Um, I also talked to Aoife Martin a trans woman who lives in Ireland about what it's like to be a trans person on social media and getting targeted by people so a lot of the book is based around all of those people's stories and I think they're also individual and they're quite nuanced as well. And I think for readers, hopefully that will give them an indication of how other people um, behave and, and how they feel about what happens to them online too. 
And you did mention it briefly earlier on as well that, you know, because it's online, we don't necessarily equal that to being in real life. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I think people do disconnect, oh, this is a real person to yeah. may- maybe I need to be more careful what I say or how I say it or maybe just don't say it at all. Yeah. And I wonder, have we kind of come to that point where we're almost disconnected to the fact that there is a real person at the end of this? Yeah, I was thinking about this recently because a couple of people were asking me about it and I feel like there's two answers to it that are like both true and both both the opposite to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of annoying that there's like a nuanced answer to it because I do think to an extent there is a disconnect there um, and has long been there because of the fact that to go on the internet you have to go onto a device, you know, you have to use your phone or a computer or a laptop or whatever. And so it can feel like it's not real life and I think that's partly why some people behave really badly because they don't really feel like it's a real space. Um, And that's probably a hangover from the really early days of dial-up internet where it really did feel like you had to choose to go on the internet for like 15 minutes a day and it just really didn't feel like real life. There wasn't as many people on there, etc. So I think that that feeling still kind of, you know, is hanging over our behaviour online. But by the same token, I actually do feel like, particularly today and because social media is so, you know, big and embedded in our lives, people do see it as very real. And the impact of people's behavior on other people feels really, really real. Like if, you know, if a hundred strangers pile on you on Twitter or Instagram comments or whatever, you really feel like you've opened the door to a room and a hundred people are shouting at obscenities mm-hmm. at you, you know? And it is a really real impact. Um, and other people, you know, they campaign online, they raise awareness of things online because on social media, because they know that it is a real space where they'll meet real people. Um, so I think that there is a strange gap between that disconnect and then the fact that we also do feel that it's very real. And in, in that gap, I think you do have people taking advantage of other people, like you have misinformation, you have racist commentary and you have trolling. Um, but I do feel like as time goes on, it becomes more and more real. And yet the behavior is getting worse and worse. And I think that's, that's quite chilling. Yeah, because it kind of almost sounds like that we almost need more legislation. We almost need to kind of keep up with the realness of the internet. Yeah, and what's interesting is that in 2021, Coco's Law came in, yeah, and I look right. at that in the book mm. um, as well, and I interview a mother whose daughter um, very sadly took her own life. She was bullied and, and cyber-bullied. And it was, you know, obviously great that the government was able to look at these horrific instances and, and realise that, you know, like legislation has to be brought in. But cyberbullying has been happening for like 20 odd years, you know, Mm. so it feels like legislation so far has been quite slow. But at the same time, I do think the response is speeding up. You know, we had the online um, safety and media regulation bill, which came in there, I think, last year. So there is more regulation happening um, and there is more pressure being put on um, the government to, to do things. And I think, you know, European legislation and or European regulation is, is on the way as well too. You have things like the Digital Services Act as well that, that oversees some of, of the sort of behaviour of um, social media companies online. So there is stuff happening but like everything's moving so quickly and then you know the big thing now is AI for example yes. and we're already seeing issues with chatbots and with um, you know um, image generators and things like that. So I don't know if they can ever quite catch up with the same speed that everything is going at. So. No, I don't think so. It's Everything's just moving so quickly. But if people want to find out more and read the book, it's Social Capital, Life Online in the Shadow of Ireland's Tech Boom by Aoife Barry and publisher HarperCollins Ireland. Thank you so much, Aoife, for chatting to us. Thanks a million. Great to chat about it.